right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 229. And guess who was the 229th player to earn a cap with the U.S. senior national team? Yep, Haley Mace, last April in Houston against Mexico. We'll be talking about her in the podcast later on. 232 players total have been capped in the 33-year history of the team, 28 of those by Jill Ellis. So one long chat today featuring Claire Watkins, who's based in Chicago and writes for EqualizerSoccer.com. Claire also produces their weekly women's soccer podcast, which is now out from behind the paywall, and you can find in most places except iTunes, just like I'm having some issues with the iTunes feed as well. So Claire and I, we look back at the two U.S. women's national team friendlies, also look back at how Chicago fared in the 2019 NWSL college draft, and even touch on the current Sky Blue situation. And now, if you're not aware, Mixone is now hosted on the Beautiful Game Network. You may need to reset RSS feeds or resubscribe, however you subscribe to podcasts since it's a completely new host. I do apologize for the inconvenience, but I'm so psyched to be part of the Beautiful Game Network of podcasts. And I also want to make sure everyone knows that they do have a website dedicated to American soccer coverage, predominantly USL. Uh, Be sure to check it out at www.bgn.fm. And note, they are looking for contributors who want to add women's soccer content. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Claire Watkins from Chicago. Claire, of course, contributor to EqualizerSoccer.com and manager slash goddess of their weekly podcast, which Claire, I'm hearing, is now out from behind the paywall. That is correct. Yeah, we are in uh, all, uh, yeah, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we are available going forward, which we're very, very excited about. So podcast to podcast, I just want everybody to know it's a great podcast to listen to, comes out. You guys tape on Sunday night, so does it come out Mondays? Mm-hmm. Every Monday morning. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, big reason I wanted to talk to you, Claire, of course, was the two European friendlies that the U.S. women just played over in Europe, over in the cold against France and Spain. Very different start to the year. Uh, compared to most years, but I like that Jill Ellis did this. She did the same thing in 2015, starting the year on foreign soil against top opponents um, when the team is off season, as opposed to the opponents being in season and, and in training too, like I said, in cold weather, as opposed to having January camp at California sun. So overall thoughts on, on this camp as a whole, I mean, what, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, um, it, it is a very interesting move, and, and I don't want to get too much where uh, I let the results kind of color what they were doing in camp, but it definitely feels like um, a lot of good reasons to spend January camp in Europe, one being uh, that I think in a way it's a little bit, they're a little bit out of sight, out of mind. So I think some of the outside things that would maybe pull at the team um, when they're on home soil, whether it be the pressure to win games or have different players appear or whatnot, kind of goes away when they do these friendlies in Europe. So I think that that's really valuable for checking out different scenarios. Um, And, yeah, I think it's a good 
amount of importance set on the fact that the U.S. is not going to be at home during this World Cup in a way that they really were in 2015. So I think the idea of getting them out of their comfort zone, um, having them play against informed teams when they themselves are out of form and really maybe make them internalize the places that they can personally improve are all incredibly important. And I think that um, that Jill Ellis's staff did a very good job of that. So looking at these two games, the first one Saturday against France in France, sellout crowd, here's your World Cup host, a lot of great energy there, but we had starters missing. And then you combine that with today's game against Spain in Spain, first time for us to ever play Spain, um, Mm -hmm. and then those starters are back. When you look at that as a whole, you know, what do you think Ellis needs to focus on with the next step of going into She Believes where it'll be three games on home soil, but, you know, three games in a week. So you're almost simulating group play for the World Cup. And and maybe, you know, how is this going to affect who she calls in for camp? I would assume it would be a bigger number of players. She had 27 in Europe. Maybe she brings in 30 pre-She Believes and it gets cut down to 23. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, kind of the way that I saw the lineup for the France game versus the lineup for the Spain game, and I actually believe that um, Ellis Ellis said a little bit about this after that Spain game, which is that uh, the U.S. really likes to set up different scenarios that they might find themselves in in competitive play, and I think right. that they are trying to figure out the best combinations of players for when they might have some starters get, you know, some mild injuries or, you know, just due to wear and tear, they have to make some different lineup decisions. And I think what they did against France was kind of drastic, but they like to see what those scenarios are going to be. So I think that France game kind of showed who can kind of hang in sort of a chaotic scenario um, and who struggled a little bit more. And so I think the idea now is to get a more cohesive mix of top 11, that choice 11, and who's going to be uh, filling out that depth. Yeah, I, I like in a way that you had two very different lineups, that you had that challenge of playing, you know, what, number three in the world, and you're missing a lot of key starters, uh, you know, throwing players into the fire, you know, like Emily Fox, hey, <laughs> let's put <laughs> yeah. you against the best competition in the world and watch you get burned on international TV. But yeah, yep. that is, as Ali Wagner said, a very important teaching moment. And you want it to happen in a situation like this, in a friendly, and not in World Cup or a qualifier or anything like that. And and also yeah. throwing Tierna Davidson in at outside back in her first game right. since her injury. Right. Yeah. It's, no, she, it's just so important. Davidson, Go ahead. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I for me, one of the running – one of the running currents of the two friendlies was Davidson getting time at outside back in both of them, Um, which is, that's fascinating to me. Never for one second did I think that Tuna Davidson was going to be an option as outside back depth, but you know what? Things happen. And, you know, Jill Ellis has a history of really trying to get the best players on the field um, in whatever scenario that works out. And so I thought that in particular was incredibly interesting. I also was just going to say that, um, especially when it comes to Emily Fox's day on Saturday, um, France was playing that game like it was a must win. 
you know, yes. in my opinion. Good point. Good point. And, and so, and so that's very different too than if France had held back kind of the same way the U.S. did. I think it would have been very different. But I think France really played to win, and so I think that that was also in a way beneficial to the U.S. to realize, wow, just starting out first game of the first game of the calendar year, this is the intensity that people are going to be coming at us with. Um, and I think that that was probably a really valuable wake-up call for them. I also, I, I was thinking about this today and talking with some of my friends uh, when I was watching the, the Spain game, that sure, not having Ertz on the field change, you know, how they played and who played where, but I think there's also the intangible of what Julie Ertz brings leadership-wise. Because mm. I feel like when you have that many starters off the field, um, it, the, you know, that leadership void can be big. Um, not that Sauerbrunn's not a leader, but I feel like she's a leader in a different way. Um, I, I still don't totally buy into Jill Ellis giving the captain's armband to whoever has the most caps. Um, mm-hmm. because again, I would say, sure, Morgan, Alex Morgan be a leader a different way. Like, I, I feel like Ertz is a loud, vibrant, energetic, all right, let's get this going almost to the level of Abby kind of rallying the troops back in 2015. Um, that really forceful presence on the field. And you need a mix of all those different styles, I believe, you know, for, for the best success of the team. But that that leadership is that extra little piece that goes on with what she already brings is like, you know, the bruiser mentality, the vision for the game, her ability to finish, you know, these ridiculous headers you don't think she's going to get to, but just that extra leadership piece. I think also maybe the key there is vocal. Um, I think yes. we obviously had a very specific captaincy idea of of uh, Carly Lloyd and Becky Sauerbrunn for a little bit, where admittedly neither of them um, were perhaps the most uh, vocal presence. Whereas right. I forget, it was, it was Kieran Taven for Equalizer, and I forget which player he said said this earlier today, but there was a younger midfielder who said that the thing about Julie Ertz is that she is always talking on the field. She's always, you know, giving ideas. She is vocal. She is helping direct traffic. That is what she brings. And so I think, yeah, when you talk about leaders on the field, I think that there is maybe just a very literal aspect of you need someone telling everyone what to do. And so well, I and you, you, that, yeah, you think about the yeah, history of our, our captains, you know, Loudy right. Fowdy, <laughs> Carlo mm-hmm. Overbeck, big talker, Abby, yep. very much a big talker, Rampone, clearly not a talker, but a different kind of captain, Rampone more in the, the Sauerbrunn style. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's huge. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's very important. And again, I think also, if you think about roles on the team, someone like Alex Morgan, as you saw in the France game, um, when when the midfield is swamped and Alex Morgan isn't getting service, there's not a lot that she can do. Whereas right. if you have someone who's playing the six, who is the person who in that vocal leadership role, they're a little bit more in the thick of it um, and they can make some changes that, that can maybe change the flow of the game a little bit more. When you have someone playing a number nine, Sometimes they get taken out of the game. That's just part of the game plan sometimes for your for your opponent. And so that also changes the, the dynamic between that player and the rest of the team that's failing to kind of give them opportunities, which I, I don't want I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying is Alex Morgan's 
faults. That's just the nature of the position that she plays. Right. Right. Yeah. She wasn't really in a position to, to change what was going on in midfield. Um, yeah. I just, I just think it, it's such an important um, part is that vocal leadership, but I love that it gave Ellis this big opportunity to test players coming back from injury players on the bubble of making the roster. Um, you know, we know that, that the 27 she brought in are not necessarily her top 27, you know, mm-hmm. that, that there's some of these people, it could be, all right, well, here's your chance to uh, prove to me that you should come back for the She Believes camp, you know, and I was happy to see McDonald get, uh, get capped in both games, you know, get, get mm-hmm. some time. Um, we didn't see Cola Prico, but, but we did see a fair amount of the players that, that were in camp, um, you know, in Portugal before they headed to, to France and Spain for these games. Now, one player I want to talk about, get your thoughts on, is, is Samantha Mewis. Um, you know, glad mm. to see her back and fully healthy after, you know, she, she had a slow start to teen dealing with some 2017 injuries. Um, I kind of wish she hadn't been subbed in so late in that France game because I feel like she really changed the dynamic once she came in. And she was a big part of creating Pew's late goal against France. She got a little bit more time uh, against Spain today, but but what are your thoughts about Sam Mewis? Yeah, I think Sam, Sam Mewis, her whole trajectory has been incredibly interesting from, you know, 2016, not making that final Olympic roster to mm-hmm. being, um, I, I think it was 2017 where she was just a mainstay in the U.S. Women's yeah. National Team lineup. She was getting a lot yeah. of starts. Um, she gets banged up in 2018, and then now she's having trouble breaking into that starting lineup again, despite being, you know, having such success, you know, with the Courage last year. Um, I I think Samantha Mewis is an incredible soccer player, and I think she possesses vision in the midfield that not a, not every other player for the U.S. Women's National Team does. And, yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised, but I, I also couldn't tell. I think the, the, the lack of halftime changes in the France game indicated that what Ellis was doing was not trying to make a radical shift. I think she was seeing her plan kind of out. Um, yes. I don't understand why Mewis can't get more time on the field with the U.S. right now. I think that she is an incredible anchor to a midfield in a different way than Ertz. And I don't know what's going on in the inner dynamic there that is stopping that from really clicking in the minutes. Yeah, I I was pleased that we didn't see a lot of quick changes in the France game. You know, of course, you had fans frustrated when – uh, we went down a goal and, you know, obviously it was Emily Fox getting burned on that flank, but the, the rest of the defense had something to do with it. People were like, Oh, she needs to be subbed out. It's like, no, I think she's going to gain a lot from staying in and Jill is going to learn more about all the other players on the field, watching them come, come back or try to come back from being down one zero, you know, they don't have the opportunity to play top teams like that very often. It's rare that a team goes up against them, you know, especially following this past fall where we had the two friendlies against Chile. uh, And then you've got qualifying, you know, which until the Canada game wasn't very competitive, you know, two pretty 
tight games in, in November, but just not the same level of competition. So I think it's it's the response after going down that you know, like like you said earlier, Jill looking for game situations where mm-hmm. if you you know if the team goes down a goal in the World Cup, you want that like team memory. It's almost like muscle memory of hey, we've come back from this before. We know how to solve this problem, you know, as opposed to being, oh my God, we're down 1-0. We've never been down 1-0. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, uh, another I, player. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> another player uh, I want to talk about, of course, is Kristen Press, who got the mm. start against yeah. France. She only had four starts last year in 10 caps. And one of the things I looked up last summer when she hit a hundred caps is I wanted to see how many of those caps were starts because it seems like she's just perennially been on that. Well, of course she's on the team, but you know, she never seems to get to start. So I, so I looked at the numbers. Okay. We have I think 37 now, 38 U S players that have played a hundred or more caps. She's in the bottom three in terms of percentage of starts against those caps. Only two players have, have a smaller percentage of starts. And, and I'm not saying that against as a judgment against Kristen press in a way, I'm saying that as a judgment against Jill Ellis, where it's like, clearly you have a talent here. Why haven't we figured out (laughs) a way, a way to use it? You know? Yeah. Kristen press is so, interesting and it's it's difficult to analyze while she's still you know in her career i i'm fascinated to see maybe what stories we can tell when it does eventually end but yeah that's the thing with Kristen press right is is she's so good but she's not right for it right like it's, it's this idea that she has all these skills and more than anybody she's able to do unexpected things on a soccer field, but for whatever reason, she's just never been, you know, quote unquote, the right player in the moment um, for the U S except I would say, obviously this week, she was by far the best U S player on the field in both games. Um, And I don't know if that's about effort or what she's been doing in the off season, or even whether or not she just stacks up really well against European style teams. Um, but I thought that she made a case this week to be factored into the game plan for France in a way that I'm not sure even I expected, you know, at the beginning of 2019. And I, and I think it's all of those things that, that you mentioned that, you know, her experience, she's got, I think, the deepest experience uh, against, you know, playing against European competition. Uh, I It looks like she really stepped up her game as opposed to you or I mean realizing that here's my opportunity to make it really hard for Ellis not to start me and you know Mm -hmm. she really shone for the U.S. uh, against France in what was a a pretty rough game and then today against Spain you know gets the goal and you know seeing that speed uh, on the outside and the announcers even talked about how Jill had said she's one of the speediest in camp. And it's funny because when I listened to it, I was like, wow, I never would have thought as press as the speediest. Like there's so many other qualities for me that, that, that I think of first with her, but it, it's like, yeah, she has all these talents. Why hasn't 
Ellis been able to incorporate that somehow? Now, now granted, we know how deep the talent pool is for the U.S. And if you have something mm-hmm. that's working, it's not like you're, you know, necessarily gonna gonna change it. But yeah, I just I she really made a great case with these two games of mm-hmm. you can't not take me and you really better think twice about not starting me. I still think probably Ellis's top three up front are Rapino on the left, Morgan in the center and Heath on the right. Um, mm-hmm. Only because uh, they combine better together for whatever mm. reason. Kristen Press, and I don't know if it's because she's less used to being out on the wing. I don't know what it is exactly, but I think one of the knocks against Press, which even looking at these games, her they were individual efforts, the things that she did. Um, mm. She's less of a combiner on that left side. And so maybe that's like my one – nothing – I think Kristen Press is great. I'm a big Kristen Press fan, but I think that that is one element of her game that perhaps when Jill is truly starting her number, like her, her first 11, that element taken out is, is a knock against her. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I also want to talk about, of course, one of my favorite issues, though I really want to punt it over to you um, (laughs) to really talk about. Uh, So another two games, same keeper, both games sitting on an uncapped keeper who looks to be the number three for this summer. So I've ranted enough about it in the past. So I'm going to let you handle the subject of uh, goalkeepers for the U S. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, France was on the bench for the the France game. So I guess that's very nice. Um, I don't know. I think, um, I thought, okay, I want to start with, I thought Nair, she she had a tough go of it with the third France goal. Um, I would also argue that she was hung out to dry a little bit. But um, I don't know what the U.S. is doing with their backups other than just, you know, presuming that they're not going to have to play. And if they do have to play, they're going to have Ashlyn Harris be the number two simply because, by way of, you know, her time with the team over however many years, she has played some games for the U.S. Right, right. Um, But I think, you know, the weird thing about it, too, is it'd be really easy to argue if you thought there was significant drop-off between number one, number two, and number three. Um, But I don't fully understand, well, maybe I understand it right now, but over the process, I don't, I don't, necessarily understand the u.s philosophy that competition between the goalkeepers is bad um and that they think that if a goalkeeper doesn't feel like they 100 percent have the support of the coaching staff despite whatever feelings they might have you know within a game that they're not going to be able to succeed mentally i think that's odd um i think a lot of other teams on both the women's and the men's sides have a, you know, wholly different philosophy, which is that you want your compete, your keepers competing with each other because that's what keeps them sharp. You know, that's what makes them better. And the U S just wholly does not have that. And it, it will work out great, I think, or not. And um, 
I also just think to a certain extent, the U.S. coaching staff under, I think they know exactly what Nair's ceiling is and they're okay with that. Um, it really just goes wrong if she gets hurt. Right. And and we have seen her, you know, nurse some, some minor injuries and, you know, I, I feel like what, what you said that, you know, not a big drop off from one to two. So I don't think it, for me, it's a concern of, you know, Paris had to step in because yeah, she's been around this team since 2013, played with some of these players even longer. That's not a concern. But knowing that your your two potential number threes, one, she's had three caps, none of them a full cap, none of them a shutout. Mm-hmm. Um, and your other one, Paris who we know is a, a great keeper. Really? No, no, Campbell, Campbell. Oh, Campbell. I was going to Cam- like, Campbell. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. no. Har- yeah, Harris, Harris <laughs> yeah. has some full caps and some shutouts. Okay. Campbell's yeah. never had a full cap. Branch right. has never even had a single cap. And uh, and I feel like, and I apologize to my listeners who get sick of me talking about this, um, <laughs> that third keeper is really important. We even mm-hmm. saw in 2015, Colombia had to use their third keeper <laughs> in the yep. match against U.S. You do not want to throw out someone that hasn't been in that situation before. Um, and when you think of how many games that the U.S. women's national team plays, you know, we're not a Brazil that only gets together for qualifying. You know, we play a lot of games. You think of all the games since the Olympics. So they had, what, six, eight games, I think six games after the Olympics that fall. Pretty big 2017 schedule. Pretty big 2018 schedule. And in that whole time, like, Jane got – a half cap here and there. Harris got a couple. It's been solid Nair. You know, it's like you've got to split some of them up. You know, that even if it's taking advantage of a friendly match where you get six subs and splitting the halves. Uh, You know, when I look back historically, that's where I see all the backup keepers getting time. Um, That's why Nicole Barnhart, she's got the most caps after Solo and Scurry, and she was never a starter at Olympics or World Cup, but she she got time. Um, Saskia Weber, Siri Mullenix, the other ones who have come through, it's, it's like you see a lot of split halves where you never know. I mean, if you have to use a third keeper, things are pretty dire, obviously, but there's a reason you have that third keeper. And I just think it's funny that basically four years later, we're in the same situation where you look back to this time in 2015, you had solo with a ridiculous number of caps followed by Harris, who I think had eight and Nair with one. And and now it's, it's, you know, it's almost the same thing. It's like, wait, you had two years, you know, you, you can't, you can't use the solo excuse anymore. You haven't capped her since August, 2016. So it's, it's just strange to me. Um, but related to that, uh, for those who may be worried that, that Nair is the starting goalkeeper, this is what I say to you know fans at our watch party that, that freak out. I'm like, look, it would be tough for anyone to follow Hope Solo. You are judging her by like the top standard, the absolute top standard in goalkeeping. So, you know, first, give her a little bit of a break. Two... The goalkeeper rarely wins you the World Cup. Think about how rare it is that a goalkeeper is player of the year or 
any award beyond obviously the pure goalkeeping categories. Um, you know, and think back to the last two Women's World Cup finals. USA were in both of them. USA allowed two goals in both of them. Now, one of those we won, you know. So when I look back at 2015, we would have died without Hope Solo in goal for the Australia game. But the rest of the games, it like, it, do, it doesn't come down to one person. You know, just, it, it is a team sport. Yes, goalkeeper's key and can come down to that that one that one play and, and many keepers have said this, you know, as a goalkeeper, you can't win a game, but you can prevent your team from losing. So I would, you know, tell fans if it stresses you, I'll just remember, it's like, it takes everybody and <laughs> it takes the whole, it, it takes the whole team. And we have such firepower that it's like, I'm much less concerned about Nair than I am about, okay, who are the outside backs going to be? <laughs> right. No, <laughs> you know, and, and, like, well, like, I think the thing is too, is, is, um, this team is so different right now than it was in 2015. Um, yes, yes. We score, we score, and then we, we concede, but we score more, right? Like, that's what we do now, which is so different. And, and we have we different, we have different people scoring, and we have yeah. many different people scoring in many different ways. Right. And so you have to I – think, I think you're right. I think it is a little bit um, – First of all, really hard to follow the greatest of all time. Um, also, yeah. really hard to um, follow that when the dynamic of the team is changing so much. Um, and the thing is, the thing that yeah, I think it's hard sometimes for people to differentiate. Alyssa Nair is a very good goalkeeper, um, and I would say that her number one weakness is that she doesn't always do incredible things when her team hangs her out to dry, which just means that the team <laughs> shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. That's all. That, that's, that's a good way to say that. Like not um, everybody can be a miracle worker. Exactly. And so, but then also if the U S gives up some weird, you know, some weird stuff, they've found the ability to come back from that more in the last year than they have in a very long time. So I think part of it too is like, yeah, these games, the games in the world cup, especially when we get into the knockout rounds might be like, they might be wild. They might be shootouts. That might be what we're doing now, which is incredibly stressful, but also another valid way to win games. So I don't know. We'll just have to see. I think, but again, I think the frustration is for me, uh, is less that I don't think Alyssa Nair can do it and more just that um, the rigidity in, in the goalkeeper structure, um, I think is incredibly unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's move things over to uh, back on American soil. Let's, let's talk NWSL. Let's talk Chicago. Um, of course we will have another round of USA games before the NWSL preseason begins. But, you know, I think we're still all on a little bit of a high. Um, Sky Blue accepted, of course, um, after the NWSL draft. I, I mean, I had a great time, and I thought the energy in the room was the best we've had since we've had the video stream in terms of the entire length of the event. So for you, as, you know, it's your hometown, it's your home team, you're covering it. What was it like for you in that draft room? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, you know, Local 134, Chicago Supporters Group came out in force, which was 
awesome. They were so loud the whole time. Um, I think it probably this is well, okay, so it's the first time that the draft has had, you know, a, uh, an in-market draft, which is fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. And it's and we and Chicago had the first pick, which is also incredibly exciting. So I think um, the the production value of the event was really, really cool. Also, not unlike some other, you know, Chicago drafts, um, the Red Stars had a lot of picks. They were very active. So I think it was great. I had a wonderful time. Yeah. Well, and of course, we all knew the question was, is Davidson going to declare not who was Chicago going to take with the number one pick? Because we knew (laughs) if she declares, you know, she'll get picked. So we don't really need to discuss Davidson uh, so much as the rest of the picks, uh, you know, number 15, getting Maria Sanchez, uh, you know, plays for Mexico, just finished up at Santa Clara. Uh, also picking up a Canadian who's working on her American citizenship through one of her parents, Bianca St. George. Um, and then some local players, what you had three from Northwestern and then Bakken from Minnesota. I mean, not local, but, you know, it's it, it it's it's from the region, but first tell me what you think about about Maria Sanchez and Bianca Saint George. Yeah, before I even do that, it's even better. It's two from Northwestern and one from Loyola, which oh, is even from, more okay. local. Yeah, yes, more local than Northwestern. Um, uh, but I yeah, Maria Sanchez, I think was a so I think that Maria Sanchez is a great pickup for a number of reasons. One being that um, I think Chicago is very smart um, using their um, their outside of the first round natural pick to pick someone who can act as a winger. I think probably uh, one of the main ways that Chicago struggled last year was in service into the box. Um, they struggled to find people who could play wide and who could send balls in. And Sanchez is kind of, her expertise is she's left-footed. Um, her specialty is left-footed balls into the box, which is exactly what Chicago needs. Uh, so yes. when it comes to filling that, she's incredible. The question will always just be um, how much can she do in her rookie season? But also what a great opportunity because when you have top talent out for the World Cup, as we've all seen, that can always be an incubator for people to really develop. So I think that Sanchez, um, even if you consider her to be somewhat inconsistent, she has this opportunity to be playing closer to her peer level for a certain amount of time during the NWSL season, and she could have a real breakout year. I think she was a great pickup. Well, and she's someone who has some international experience on the senior level, but will not yep. be gone for the World Cup because right. sadly Mexico yeah. didn't, didn't make it. You know, yeah. um, and Bianca Saint George, I know not. Has, hasn't really been part of the senior Canadian team, but again, someone that's that's been in that development program. Right. She's someone who has, she's someone who right now still just kind of has the upside. Um, and that's what Chicago does when they draft. They look for potential and they know that they're one of the top clubs in the NWSL to develop young talent. So I think they have a lot of faith in themselves to take people who have sparks and kind of turn that into something that is uh, uh, more prominent just on that senior senior stage. Yeah, and and I and I love I love the local picks. I, I love the response in the room. Um, 
especially when, is it Chesney? Jenna Chesney? Chesney. Yeah. Where, where Chesney, I think yeah. I said, I think I said on the broadcast, it's like, yeah, it wouldn't be, you know, a Chicago draft without <laughs> some kind of Slavic last name. Like finally. Oh yeah. You know. You have to have, you have to have, <laughs> some multiple Z's in a last name. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I've said this before. I've said this before, and this is a more holistic view on the whole thing, I think. But um, Chicago is, an, is, you know, it's the third largest city in America. There's a whole um, ecosystem inside of, you know, how we live out here. And when you have players who are good and they're local, a beautiful thing that the Red Stars are able to do is facilitate people who not only can compete for the first team roster, but that can thrive in the WPSL, um, who can find other either endorsement or whatever opportunities just locally. I love that. I think it's incredibly smart. I think that Chicago drafts people that they know will stick around because this is home for them and that will develop to the practice culture and the locker room culture and the competitive nature of the team. And I think that's wonderful. I think that that's something that a lot of NWSL clubs should aspire to when it comes to building kind of a team from the ground up. Well, and, and tapping into local and and regional schools. So, you Mm -hmm. know, obviously Northwestern Loyola, but Minnesota, you think Illinois, um, Notre Dame, DePaul, uh, you know, all, all that, that it, it's like, I think a lot of the NWSL clubs, if, if you can foster a relationship with that school, that then prospective players look at that school as like, hey, if I play there, I've got a better shot at being seen by an NWSL club, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, the, and the club knows that like, hey, if we draft these players, all those people that were already locally going to their Northwestern game to watch her play, Maybe they'll come, you know, watch here. And it's, you know, those seasons barely overlap too. So there's, there's so much upside in that. And I, I think it's, it's been really smart that we've seen Rory Dame do that a lot. We've, we've seen Washington Spirit, you know, do that a little bit. Because, again, that, that's an area, you know, where so many great college programs. And obviously, you know, North Carolina has benefited from that just based on you know, on, on where they are, but it's, yeah, it's such a natural synergy, uh, you know, for the teams to develop. Um, so let's talk a little bit, not, not that this is your purview Chicago necessarily, but just because the national team scored and she signed with the team and she scored, let's just, I guess, let's talk a little bit about Haley Mays. I just thought of this sure. right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because she's made it clear uh, you know, that she doesn't intend to sign for Sky Blue. Julia mm-hmm. Ashley's made it clear she doesn't intend to play for Sky Blue. May signed with Melbourne City uh, in the mm-hmm. Australia League. Now, obviously, that contract's really only good for the next month. It would not prevent her from playing in NWSL. We're obviously Ashley signing for Sweden. That is a season that runs the same time as NWSL. So she's obviously not available for the 2019 season, but, but your thoughts on, on that situation, especially since, yeah. you know, you're not, you're not Jersey based or Jersey focused <laughs> or clouding over. Like, no, you know, you can, you can I, give an outsider's view. Yeah. Um, I'm not Jersey based, but I would say that in, in contributing for equalizer, it's something that we obviously are paying a lot of attention to because I personally, and we believe that this issue is one that is, 
possibly an indication of the actual health of the league. Um, but so a couple of things, one being that, yes, Julia Ashley is going to sign with, um, oh God, uh, with uh, Linköping in Sweden. She did uh, do an interview with John Halloran for Equalizer where she did say that um, her plans at this point are to be available midsummer. If, you know, she's, she's signing a short-term contract with them and if, a, you know, either, so she could, I would she imagine. could join up in the transfer window when the Sweden yes. season ends. Right? Yes. And okay. I think she, and I think the reason, and obviously you would think the reason that she would say that in that interview is because she would like to. I think maybe yeah. she sees this, as a, sees this as a short-term solution to a long-term problem. Um, if she goes out there and she does well, either we get some clear indications that Sky Blue is improving or she becomes a valuable asset to someone who might want to bring her in mid-season. I think she wants to play in the U.S. And and that's one of the frustrating things about the Sky Blue situation is you do have players, they don't want to go to Europe. They don't want to leave the market. They want to play in the U.S., but it's just not feasible right now. So um, I think that she's looking to come back next season, which should be incredibly interesting. Haley Mace, um, I I like the Melbourne City contract. I think that's her saying, I really want to take as much initiative as I possibly can and succeed at a professional level immediately in order to be able to, you know, create as much buzz around me as I possibly can to put myself in a good situation. I like that a lot. I think it shows initiative. I think it shows that she knows that she can compete at this level. And I think that that's, a really good way to handle this situation, even though she officially now hasn't made a decision about Sky Blue. So um, I would say that both of I the Sky Blue thing is really hard because I really want, in general, as a whole, the NWSL to succeed, and I would love for Sky Blue to succeed. But I also, I also to a certain extent appreciate the way that these players are utilizing what they can do and utilizing their talents to, you know, find other ways to keep playing until that situation is resolved. So um, I don't know. I have, I have no answers. I have many questions, but I have no answers. <laughs> well, one of the things I, I also like about Mace jumping into that contract, you know, not staying in school and not waiting for any of yourself preseason, I also feel that that's a way for her to say, hey, Jill, you still need to consider me for the She Believes camp. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she got her first cap last spring. Yeah. You know, right. she's, pro- she's probably in the top 30, top 35. You know, um, mm-hmm. if she waits around for an end of yourself preseason, she's not going to be in consideration for She Believes. If she jumps immediately into a highly competitive situation and has results, you know, that, to me, that's a, hey, Jill, hey, Jill, you know, so, yeah. uh, that, you know, good for her. And it doesn't lock her into, okay, well, now I'm in a playing situation where I don't want to be. You know, like you said, a lot of these players, they they want to stay home. They know that for the most part, they've got the best chance playing, in the na- playing for the national team if you're playing at home, you know, and you don't have to be so far away from friends and family and your parents can come watch you play and, you know, Right. All that stuff. Uh, I do like, too, that with Europe and, and even other countries having, having options, you know, China, et cetera, that 
these players have choices. So yeah, they have to weigh based on their own situation. What's the best thing to do? Uh, you know, I think back to the 2017 draft and yes, we all wanted Ashley Lawrence and Kadisha Buchanan to declare for the draft, but they did what was best for them, you know, signing over in France, because if they stayed in NWSL, they'd be Canada subsidized players and they'd be restricted by the Canada salary as opposed to going over to France, you know, they, they could do better for themselves and, and, you know, good for them. You know, we, we might see them back in, in, in the USA one day. Um, you know, I, I don't believe that the league must have the best players in the world to survive. Mm-hmm. I also yep. don't, don't believe in the, if we don't win the women's world cup, that's going to hurt the league. It's like, wait, if we're predicating no. the success right. of the league, winning the world cup every four years, that's, that's not really a sound business plan. Right. Obviously, obviously it creates a bump, but, but you can see like when you think of 2011, they didn't win, but Oh my God, that quarterfinal game against Brazil gave mm-hmm. the WPS a bump that, you know, really helped. It was too late for, you know, long-term, but so I, so I feel like, I'm less concerned that players aren't always choosing NWSL. I'm more concerned that it seems like the players who are opting out are opting out because of this one club that we're discussing. And even more, even more disconcerting to me is that we don't hear from the league about it. Um, I, I, I don't have, I don't have access to, a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that some people think, think that I do, but I have to imagine, and I want to believe that the league is gravely concerned about this, that the other owners are gravely concerned about this because nobody wants contraction, you know, and it may seem like a competitive advantage of like, haha, we can get the players because nobody wants to go there, but no, yeah. you want, you want a healthy league. You, you know, the, the, the bigger, the better, you know, it's, 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 it's better for, for everyone. Um, yeah. And, um, and, and, and it's not like, it's yeah. not like sky blue's the only club that's had, that's had issues, but it seems like it's the only club that's making no progress on its issues. And I want right. to hear more from the club about what they're doing, not just a, you're going to hear something in a month, you know, and, and I, I don't want a bland statement from the commissioner saying we're aware of blah, blah, blah. It, it's like, get down and dirty because what's come out in the press, um, you know, it's like, if no one responds to that, then you don't have anything to balance it with. I mean, talking with, with one of my friends, the watch party today, she was really bummed about the sky blue thing in general. And and I said, I said, but you do know that both Estelle Johnson and Nahu Kawasumi both said, Hey, I'm looking forward to playing in New Jersey. And she's like, really? I didn't hear that. And and, And it is easy um, I think social media tends to emphasize this, you know, bad news, what, bad news travels around the globe before good news gets its boots on, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that it just, so, so keep that in mind. It's not all, it's not all awful. And, you know, I like that you're saying too, that, Hey, Ashley made it clear. Julie Ashley made it clear that she'd be back mid summer. We know that Mace isn't locked into anything past, um, February and hey, there's always trade options too. 
You know, well, I, mean, I, I, I wonder, I wonder if there's some, you know, lots of coaches calling other coaches trying to figure out, no, I want Haley Mace. No, I want Haley Mace. So who knows? Um, yeah, no, uh, believe it or not, Jen, I literally wrote the exact piece that you just described <laughs> for the equalizer last week. Um, about, uh, it's about communication and, um, Again, yeah, we we don't want contraction, especially contraction at this point. We all saw what happened with Boston last year. That was a nightmare. Nobody wants that. Um, But also, if your random freshman at any Division I school knows right now that they heard that they should never want to go to Sky Blue, that's doing damage that is going to predicate into the future no matter what the club ends up doing. It's right. bad. The right. Whisper Network is working so much harder than they are right now to get in right. front of the story. And that is really bad, not only for Sky Blue, but for the league. Um, right. I agree. And but, for uh, the I other teams, that, because right, the league doesn't right. succeed. They can't succeed. The Portland Thorns exactly. aren't going to get 18,000 people at a game if there's no league. Right. Yep. <laughs> you know, um, and – I want to make it clear, obviously, it's not Sky Blue, the only club that, that's, that's had issues. I mean, I can look in my own backyard and, you know, I've seen the fallout of the last couple of seasons with the Dash in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, how long it took them to let go of Randy Waldrum, having the end of 2017 where, the, you know, two of the last three home games were scheduled hours away, um, you know, coming into – a really interesting year, but a whole new front office basically and, and head coach. And for the first time, the dash having a full coaching staff. So I feel like the dash have an opportunity to uh, erase, you know, some, some of the bad faith that it's built up. Like it came into the league as the, Oh, here's another team that has all these facilities you know so some of the players being transferred in were like oh my god there's actually staff and an office you know but I feel also that the league has evolved so those things are no longer enough you know and I also feel like Dash squandered some of that that good faith coming in thinking that they didn't have have to do very much so I'm seeing kind of a culture shift there um, and that's going to make a difference but like you said you still have to overcome that, that perception. I ran into, um, you know, an NWSL keeper at the draft of, you know, backup kind of third string occasionally get signed keeper. And I mentioned Houston to her, you know, cause she was looking for clubs and she's like, really? I said, it's a different place. Trust me. <laughs> I yeah. said, reach, reach, reach out to them. It's, you know, it's, it's a different GM. It's a different president of the club. It's yeah. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a whole different place. Um, and in a way, I, I think that's almost what Cloud9 is asking for, where unlike Boston, which was in the middle of a sale of the club, and then the sale broke down, and obviously the original right. owners weren't in a position to you know, keep going, the, the money people of Sky Blue are clearly committed. They, you know, they, they have the pockets, and they want to use their pockets, but there's some bizarre disconnect between that level and and the next level, and what <laughs> what, what I what I think we all want to hear right. is okay, they're league standards. Well, what are they, and how are they enforced? 
Yeah. And, and you know, what happens if, if, if someone doesn't follow them? Um, I remember early on with, uh, you know, when the Dynamo was in town, there's, there's a league role. It's called the Event Observer. Um, I'm sure it's much more formalized now. But, you know, this was wow, thir- 13 years ago. Someone who just got paid 50 bucks a game, you know, worked for the league, not for either team, that checked off certain things that, like, okay, was this done at this time? Was game presentation matching this? Were the sponsorship boards in place? Were the players without shoe contracts wearing the right shoe? Kind of, like, it, and this is not exactly the same thing, but it's that kind of process of, hey, if you don't, do X, Y, and Z, you can't be, you know, <laughs> there, there's a fine associated with it and you can't get out of that fine. This is what you agree to by being part of this, you know, part of this league. And I, and I think we're in such an interesting time where, you know, we know uh, there are groups actively pursuing expansion. Again, something else they don't talk about very much. Um, and we've seen the makeup of the ownership groups change so much so that it's like you've had more MLS clubs come on board. Also a situation like North Carolina where it's, you know, USL, NWSL, um, so different kinds of owners. And so you probably have, you know, little clicks among that ownership group as well. And then complicated by the inability of U.S. soccer to really empower Amanda to be the commissioner she should be or someone else to be commissioner. It just, it, it creates this, I don't know, there's probably some good high end word for it. It's just, this just quagmire. Is that the good word for it? Or just like, nothing's yeah. Ha- oh, yeah. Nothing's happening. Red tape. There's a lot of different. No, no, but, but it's not, no, it's yeah. not even red tape. It, it, it's like, it's like, yeah. was it entropy? Like nothing's happening. Everything's just kind of, oh, stuck. Right. you know, where, uh, where there, where there's no one that has the, authority energy yeah yeah to just like okay i'm just gonna burst through all this crap and make things happen so i mean yeah obviously that's how i would be if i were into cell commissioner so vote for me jen cooper for your end wait wait wait, can i the one thing thing i just want to say about that though is um and and i'm just i'm floating this out there this is not a hard line that i'm taking but i just um i think what we saw with um duffy becoming president is that the entanglement between the NWSL and U.S. soccer is maybe a lot deeper than people imagine. And I think that to a certain extent, um, there will be no clear action while that relationship is so intertwined because it can't. There's too many people, too much, too many interests, all of that stuff. So I I think people should be frustrated with inactivity but I also think that the nature of, I guess, the buying power that has supported the league up to this point is why that that now cannot happen. But I wonder, and I'm just throwing this out there because I don't, I don't know the answer. You know, the FMF, the Mexican Federation, runs Liga MX and Liga MX Femenil. Mm-hmm. They get shit done left and right. Um, so, you know, without, without it, seemingly being dependent on, you know, national teams. Um, so again, this comes down to lack of vision on U.S. Mm-hmm. soccer, and that's a whole other, like, 10-hour podcast. Yeah, right. um, we'll have to do this again. 
Yeah. So, so with that, before we stay up all night talking about yeah. how we would change things, I'll be commissioner and you could be vice commissioner. Okay. All right. All right. You know, you're already in Chicago, so you can just, you know, raid, raid the headquarters. Yeah. You could just make things That's happen. Yeah. yeah. But, but Claire, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk national team soccer and obviously Chicago red stars and the draft and other issues. And once again, I want to urge everybody uh, to check out the equalizer soccer podcast that Claire is a contributor for, but also producer, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So you can, you can check out that every Monday. And once again, Claire, thank you so much for, for being on today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. Next up for the U.S. Women's National Team will be the fourth edition of the She Believes Cup with doubleheaders in Philadelphia, Nashville, and Tampa. Two new opponents in the tournament this year, Japan and Brazil, along with England returning for the fourth time. All the USA games will air live on one of the Fox Sports channels, um, waiting to hear about the other games, of course. Alex Morgan still sitting on 98 goals, so we could see her hit number 100 during this tournament. She is very close to being the seventh U.S. Women's National Team player to reach 100 goals. Also, coming up in that late February, early March FIFA window is the Algarve Cup, featuring several World Cup teams, and the Cyprus Cup, featuring more Women's World Cup teams, and the first-ever Cup of Nations, hosted by Australia, with Women's World Cup teams Thailand, New Zealand, and South Korea as the opponents. Some of these games may be available to view online, but you probably want to figure out how to use a VPN beforehand to access them. VPN, of course, standing for Virtual Private Network. We're seeing more and more streaming these days of of women's international soccer games, but a lot of times that streaming is restricted to Uh, whatever country it's being shown in. So if you can figure out how to use a VPN, you can watch a lot of games. And with the Women's World Cup coming up, uh, we are barely, barely four months away. Single single game (laughs) tickets go on sale March 7th. Right now, you can only buy city-based packages. If you check out the ticketing link at fifa.com slash women's world cup, you can click on the buy tickets and then you click on a city and it shows you the various packages, whether it's every game in that city or a few games in the city. But starting March 7th, you can buy individual tickets for single games. So be sure to mark that date on your calendar. Be sure also to check out AmericanOutlawsTravel.com for details on special AO travel packages for the Women's World Cup as well as events in France open to all USA fans. And lastly, the 2018 postseason edition of the Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac, including photos, player registry, coach stats, all-time leaders, and more, is available for purchase at keepernotes.com in PDF format. And yes, I am on schedule to have a printed version available for purchase. We're talking like 324 pages by the end of this month. And... I'm also planning on releasing a complete statistical guide to the Women's World Cup in March, printed edition as well. So stay tuned for more details on that. All right, once again, thank you to everyone 
who's been listening. Thanks again for anybody who tweets about the podcast or shares it with friends. Many thanks to new podcast hosts, the Beautiful Game Network, and of course, my producer, Sean. Thanks for putting this all together. But now she's anybody's girl. You know she's anybody's girl.